Hi, this is David Sachs, and welcome to Spiritual Tools for an Outrageous World. Every week we do a little couples therapy between us and God. It's a chance to deepen and explore our most important relationship. Okay, I'm glad you're here. Let's just start with it with a, just a very broad sort of like uh, view of life for a moment, because it's, it's very sort of all-encompassing. It's a good sort of organizational structure. And that's basically that there's an outside and an inside. And this is working on so many different levels. I mean, everywhere you look, if you think about it for one more moment, there's an outside and there's an inside. Um, we talked about, not so long ago, just on the, the subatomic level, um, in terms of quantum mechanics, that, that, that there's a, a, a belief, it's, I don't know how widely held it is, but it's a, it's a legitimate belief in, in, in modern physics today, that, that the way to understand particles is to understand that there's their outside behavior, but there's an inside behavior, which is that the particles of nature are actually conscious, which is an amazing, this is an amazing idea that on a subatomic level, that the inside of particles, that there's a consciousness there. This is, um, and this has been advanced by Professor Chalmers, and uh, it's, it's, it, it's, it, it suggests, and I, I don't think he's saying this, but I think he's definitely pointing the way to this thought, that if, if there's a consciousness inside of like the most elemental aspects of physical existence, right, that means that that has to be part of a greater consciousness. I mean, that, that just seems to follow. That, those are my words. But it's certainly in accordance with the, the Torah viewpoint that, that this world exists inside Hashem. See, one of the big... And it's like, again, it's like fish in water, if you will. You know, one of the things that we... I always like to suggest... And now, by the way, there's a video on it. You can, you, we, we made it into a video. You can go on Chabad.org and, and, and find a, a video presentation of this thought. Uh, it's animated. But uh, the idea is like this. So I, I once imagined a conversation between two fish. And, and one fish says to the other, do you believe in water? Right? And the other fish says, you know, I don't know if I believe in water. My grandfather was religious, very religious. He believed in water. Right? So, so what's the joke? The joke is that the only thing that exists is water. And, yet, and, and that's us in God, by the way. You know, just like fish in water. We're like, we're like the fish in, in God, if you will. Just swimming around. Like every, every, everything that we do is within God. Within God. And God fills, saturates all of reality and then exists dimensions beyond this, this sphere. Right? So... So this is a very important paradigm shift. And anyone who really wants to try to understand what Judaism is saying has to, has to plumb the depths of this idea. Because this is the, the, central, the central idea, really. Is that wherever you go, whatever you do, you're part of this ongoing relationship with God. Um, one of the life-changing Torahs that I, that I heard, I heard it from Rabbi Grumman. I thought he said it in the name of the Rambam, but I don't know. I'm just This is so many years ago. And he's talking about a, a, a very sort of epic event in the Torah. It's when Avraham Avinu has, has had his bris. He's 99 years old. He's sitting at the, the opening of his tent. It's a burning hot day. And, you know, the, the, Rashi says that he's at the height of his pain of recovering from this 
this surgical procedure. And the only thing Abraham wants to do is just welcome more guests, right? He doesn't want to stop from the thing that's, that's like just his greatest form of service. And, and God comes to visit him. God makes a, a bicker holding call. This is where we learn to visit the sick. So to imitate God, this is where we learn it from. God visits Abraham, and, and, and Hashem begins to talk to Abraham, and then all of a sudden, Abraham sees three visitors. And by the way, from Abraham's point of view, the, the rabbis explain these people appeared as Arab idol worshippers. So it's not like they, they were, you know, they, it, it's not like they, they, they you know, they were... They were wearing strimals, right? <laughs> and, you know, like, like, oh, it's a Rebbe. We got to go. And they, they were idol-worshipping Arabs. Abraham jumps up and, and runs to them, right? Because he wants to welcome them and give them hospitality. And so all the rabbis are, like, wondering, well, wait a second. He's right in the middle of talking with God. Here he's interrupting God. How, how could it be that he'd be interrupting God like this? And so what Rabbi Grumman gave over, and it, it, to this day it affects me so much, and it's very much uh, in keeping with this whole notion of fish and water, is don't for a second think that Abraham was interrupting God. By Abraham doing this kindness, he was continuing his conversation with God, but it was just going on a different channel at that moment. Right? He, he never left God. He never left God. And, and that's us in all of our daily events. When it says, know God in all of your ways, right? It, it's not, it, understand that you're immersed within the reality of God at all times. Not, and this is where most people make a mistake, not that God is an idea. And try to have this idea and implant this idea into different things that you're doing. See, that's sort of like an inorganic structure. You're grafting a quote-unquote spiritual idea until, unto what the real reality is, which is this totally secular, mundane reality. And you're trying to sort of like plaster some pretty wallpaper on it, and we'll just call it God or spirituality. That's, that's not what's going on. <laughs> what, what is going on is the fact that all there is is God. God is the only thing that's going on in the universe. 24-7, it's really the only reality that's going on. We get to play a part within it, right? To, to reveal more of the light and more of the reality of what actually is going on. Okay. So, again, you've got the outside and you've got the inside. This is like a superstructure in terms of approaching all of life. You have the body, that's the outside. You have the soul. That's the inside. See, one of the things that happened when we ate from the eight sadas is that everything got turned inside out. Why was it that Adam and Chava were naked in front of each other for a period of time and they didn't notice anything like embarrassing or weird or they weren't self-conscious? Why was that? Because the primary reality was their insides. Not, not, I'm not talking about organs right now. Don't... don't have, I'm talking about soul. In other words, they saw each other's souls, and that was the primary reality of how they related to each other. What happened after they ate from the eights of Das is that all inward thinking became, all, all thinking became very inward reflected. Right? It's sort of like we turned everything inside out, and now all of a sudden the, the true 
the true outside, meaning the true kind of like reality of what's going on, all of a sudden got buried and became the inside. Right? And now, all of a sudden, we saw each other as people standing naked in front of each other, which was not the ultimate reality. That was, that was just, you know, other stuff. But that then became the headline. That became the primary thing because now all of a sudden, physicality, not the, not the reality of God, not, not, not the fact that wherever you go is godliness, but just the exterior aspects. The exterior aspects now became the primary reference point for, for what's going on. So, so now, what happens at Mount Sinai? And we're counting toward Mount Sinai right now. What happens at Mount Sinai is we get the Torah, and all of a sudden, the inside becomes the primary reality again. All of a sudden, our, we have a, a giant paradigm shift. We're, we're able to, to see the true reality. But what happens is, is that it's not a negation of, of the outside. It's not a dismissal of the material world or of physicality. But rather, it's a contextualization of materiality and physicality. In other words, there's a place for absolutely everything. All of it is beautiful and all of it is part of God's creation. It's just a question of in what context are you experiencing it? Okay? So now with that in mind, I want to... I kind of got excited about this thought. This is a new, new thought, new visualization. You ready? Okay, so, so here it is. You see, the human being intuitively, whether, whether they're conscious of it or they're not conscious of it, but intuitively we understand that, that our soul is our essence. And, and uh, so, yeah. So one of, the, one of the primary needs of every person, and again, we're not necessarily conscious of this, but it's what's driving a lot of our behavior is transcendence. And a, a person... A person understands intuitively that, that there's more to life um, than meets the eye. And I, 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 I heard from Reb Shlomo in the name of Reb Tzadah Kokain, something that really just, just always stayed with me. Um, he said that uh, people say that the world is moving further and further away from God. He says, I say the world is fur- moving further and further away from the, on the outside but moving closer and closer on the inside. So this is a very big thought because it tells you that I know in my life, if, if you looked at my lifestyle before I started keeping Shabbos and things like that, you would go, that guy hasn't got a chance. I mean, that guy is so far away. That guy is so far away. But the reality is, is that as I was checking out different things, I was also noticing that all those things were ultimately, in my opinion, bankrupt or dead ends. And so while I was checking those things out and it looked like on the outside, wow, he's really involved and committed to those things. But the reality is, is that I was just sort of crossing all those things off the list. And I realized what my starting point was, which is where I started, which was like, 
No, no, no. Like the sweetest thing, the sweetest thing is, is Torah. The sweetest thing is Hashem. That's, it, it's, 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 it's clearly that, and now I see, up close and personal, not these things. Right? But what that tells you is that if you really want to understand the truth of what's going on inside of someone, or inside of the world, you can't tell from the outside. Because there's a whole other story being told in terms of how people are absorbing their experiences on the inside. Rav Cook says, he talks about, the way Rabbi Aaron put it, the, the holiness of atheism. So you think, well, wait a second, that, that, that sounds really contradictory. Atheism is a total rejection of God. What's holy about that? So Rav Cook said that what an atheist has done is rejected all mistruth. He's rejected all mistruth. He's just like cleared it all away, and now he's one step away from truth. So there is a certain holiness to, to that type of rejectionism. Again, the person might manifest themselves, appear as an ardent, an ardent atheist, and yet the reality is, is that they're one step away. Um, I heard in the name of the Shem Mishmul, one of the great Hasidic masters, that uh, basically when we talk about the merit that, we'll, that, that, it, that it will take, basically, to bring Mashiach, that, 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 that what we're talking about is the accumulated merit of all of the generations together. So in other words, you can look out the window and you could say, this world is so far away from Mashiach. Like, who are you kidding? Who are you kidding? Right? But at the same time, you're just seeing it on the outside level. On the inside level, you have all the schusim, all the merits of generations and generations and generations and generations piling up. And that's the actual, that's the actual real story that's going on. So, so, so intuitively, again, whether we're conscious of it or whether we're not conscious of it, we have a soul. And that's what's, that's what's really kind of like driving things. But then we also have a body, right? And we're looking for transcendence. What, what does transcendence mean? Transcendence basically means, we said that when we ate from the eight sadas, from the tree of knowledge, that we turned everything inside out, right? Transcendence are those moments when you turn the thing that's been turned inside out, inside out again, and now it's right side in. <laughs> when you reverse the inside out process, and all of a sudden you're like, okay, this is what it is. Then you have a transcendent moment, right? That's, that's that, and then you're whole again, right? So everyone is looking for that level of wholeness. Okay, now how are we looking for that level of wholeness? If we're not consciously in touch with the fact that our soul is the headquarters of all the activity, right? So Rabbi Nachman says, and this is again another macro concept, which is very good to keep in mind. He says the three forces that we have the most trouble controlling in life are food, sex, and money. These are the things that people are wrestling with all the time and have been wrestling with from the beginning of time. So if you, if you, if you, you know, sometimes people have a very sort of uh, chauvinistic attitude about, um, you know, how life was 2,000 years ago or 3,000 years ago or human civilization and everything like that. And they think, oh, those people didn't know anything because they didn't have cell phones, right? So therefore they knew nothing, right? But when you keep in mind that they were wrestling 
with food, sex, and money, <laughs> just like you are, then you realize, oh, well, okay, I guess they were exactly the way we are. You know, like, it, it's sort of like a nice reality check in terms of understanding human history because you realize that the previous generations were basically more or less exactly like you are right now, okay? Okay, in different ways, they were closer and sort of more enlightened in, in various ways. It's also true, but at the same time, okay. So again, we're talking about the inside and we're talking about the outside. We're talking about transcendence. And so, a lot of ways people try to transcend are through these three things, food, sex, and money. They try to reach this level of getting beyond themselves, like through these vehicles. And, and, and the Torah embraces all of these things. But then again, it's just sort of like, well, what, what, is, what is the way to do it where you're sort of like absolutely leveraging and maximizing like your purpose in life. Like there are ways to do all those things in a way that make you greater and don't diminish you. So here's the visual that I mentioned a few minutes ago. Imagine, imagine a car at the top of a hill, a steep hill, okay? Now imagine the, the car's engine is not on. All right, and then someone gives a big push to the back of the car, and the car is speeding down the hill. Right. So, from the outside perspective, from the from the perspective of the body, because that's 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 the car is the body, but the engine of the car is the soul. Right. The engine is not on, but the car is speeding down the hill. So experientially, it has all of the trappings of all of the actions, of all of the transcendence, right? But it's not being ignited from within. You see, see, the idea is, if the engine is on, if the soul is charged, if the person is using all of these ways to transcend, but approaching it from the spiritual point of view, and the spiritual is leading the physical, if the inside is leading the outside, then this is, this is the harmonizing of all of the forces of nature. That's what we're talking about. When we talk about the revelation of God's oneness in this world, we're talking about the harmonizing of all of the energies in nature coming together. And for that to happen, the inside has to lead the outside. Or in, in terms of more sort of like um, ancient visuals, the horse has to lead the the, the, the the rider has to lead the horse. See, if the horse is leading the rider, that's the body leading the soul. Right? That's the heart leading the eyes. See, it's, it's very interesting because when we go back to this sort of grand sort of macro organizational principle that there's an outside to life and there's an inside to life, right? It's very interesting what it says in Shema. It says, it says, don't stray after your eyes because the eyes are the ultimate outside of the body. They're, they're sort of like the, the centuries that are bringing all the outside information in, right? And it says that the, the eye sees and the heart desires. 
right? So, but what's so fascinating is if you actually look at the language of the Shema, it says, Velosasuru, Achare Lavavchem, Viachare Enechem. It actually says it the opposite way, which is so fascinating. It says, Don't stray after your with your heart comes first and then your eyes. So we just said the eyes see and the heart desires. But I heard this thought, this is a life-changing thought. If the heart, but the heart comes first in the Torah, in that passage. If the heart doesn't desire, the eye doesn't see. It's a fascinating idea. If you don't want it, you're not going to actually see it. You walk right by it. You walk right by it. If you want it, you'll see it everywhere. <laughs> it's, it's, or, 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 maybe you'll see it, but it just bounces right off of you. It doesn't stop you in your tracks. You just, oh yeah, well, whatever it is, yeah, yeah. You know, you know, it's interesting. Among the, we have all these in, in the art scroll. It's under a category called wonder blessings, right? So that's one of my favorite parts of the whole prayer book, the wonder blessings. You can, there's a blessing over rainbows and there's a blessing over lightning and thunder and unusual creatures. Like if you see like a really bizarre like fish, there's, a, there's actually a blessing that you can say. There's a blessing over kings. There's a blessing over if you see 600,000 Jews together in the same spot. Do you know what that blessing is? Blessed are you, Hashem, King of the universe, knower of secrets. Fascinating if you see 600,000 Jews together. So, anyway, there are all these blessings. One of them is if you see an incredibly beautiful woman. Right? So, that's, that's interesting. You can actually say a blessing on her. Right? But the, the custom today is not to do that. <laughs> And, and they say, well, well, how did this come about? And they say, well, it just happens to be if you're walking down the street and then you turn and then you see like a, you know, like a gorgeous woman, you can say the blessing. But not to run around looking for her to say the blessing over. <laughs> I remember someone was um, telling me, in the, they, they work out in the gym, and they said, you know, I... And, you know, we were kind of talking about it because they were, you know, they were trying to sort of elevate themselves spiritually. And, you know, if, if you've been in a gym, you know that, you know, there's, just, it can be distracting if you're on a more spiritual path. And um, so he said to me, if God didn't want me to see these things, why would he put them in front of me? And I said, you know, it's a good question, but... At the same time, maybe puts them in front of you for you not to see them, <laughs> you know. So, so it's it's kind of again, what's the inside and what's the outside? That that's that's what it all comes to. What's the inside and what's the outside? What is? How are you seeing the world? Are you seeing the world that you are actually swimming through godliness? I I gave a talk. Um, Actually, last week um, in, in Philadelphia, and um, someone asked me, like, just very sincerely, they said, you know, how can I get out of my own head? 
and and it's such a it, it, this is such a huge this is such a big problem because again people are looking for transcendence I think a lot of addiction is all it's this it's this misguided quest for transcendence right and 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 because people understand there is something beyond them but how do they how do they access it how do they access it so so a a dysfunctional way of accessing transcendence is is addiction and obsession because it allows you to fixate on something other than yourself so there's a self-medicating aspect to it but it doesn't get you to the to the beyond place just kind of like a lateral move from inside your head to outside your head but then unfortunately it, it then pulls you down and pulls your friends down and pulls your family down there's ugly ripple effects so I I, I said back to this person, you, you have to understand that you're in a relationship. And again, this is the, the idea of getting back to, to the fish and water, to understand that the, the, the reality of the world is, is this sense that you're part of this greater oneness. That's, 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 that's just what's going on. And that that's, that's the headline, not what's going on inside your head. But they all work together. It's all that's what's going inside your head is also part of that oneness. It's also ex- exceptionally beyond important because that's also a creation of God. But again, it's just how do you how do you contextualize them? How do you how do you make this grand sort of mosaic of of reality in a way that doesn't distort it? This is this is kind of what we're in the process of doing. This is what we're all doing since the beginning of time. We're participating in this really in making this grand mosaic, like putting all the pieces together. But it's, it's hard. It's hard. It's really hard. So I, I said, look, there are different paradigms in terms of our relationship with God. One, one paradigm is king and subject, right? right? Another paradigm is parent and child, right? You have another paradigm, best friends. You have another paradigm, mother and child. Okay, you have throughout Tanakh, you have all of these different paradigms in terms of our relationship with God. But Rabbi Kiva said, the Holy of Holies is the notion of us and God as two lovers, right? That's Shira Shira. So in other words, it's, it, that's, get back to the idea of this fish in water, swimming through water, whatever it is. That's this idea that there's this very real intimacy between you and God as you move through life. And so, so I was saying, again, the question was, how do, how do I get out of my own head? I said, well, you have, to, you, have to view, you have to view your life and the actions of your life, even the most mundane parts of your life. See, because, by the way, just as an aside, the mundane parts of your life are 98% of your life. <laughs> Right? And that's even if you're Brad Pitt. Right? Even if you're like flying around the world and appearing in front of the camera and eating in whatever the most spectacular restaurants and staying in the most rarefied hotel rooms with the most exclusive views in the world. 98% of life is 
Well, I'm sitting on the private jet, <laughs> and I'm waiting. And now I'm in the car, driving in traffic to my exclusive hotel. <laughs> and I'll tell you a secret, it's not such a secret, if you eat chocolate all day, chocolate ceases to be chocolate, <laughs> right? If you live in a hovel and you walk into a five-star hotel, you're like, wow! If you more or less live in a five-star hotel, you're like, where's my room? <laughs> you know? It's not the towel warmer. You're not like, hey, honey, come in here. There's a towel warmer. This is unbelievable. Like, get your bag. I've never seen shampoo bottles like this. Like, load them up. If they think we've used them, they'll put more in and we'll get even more. I don't know how long it'll last, but I want as many of these as I can take. Right? But if that's your life, then it's like, okay, so. I wish these were larger, because why are they so small? Right? You're not, like, geeking out on the fact that, wow, I've never seen that color blue on a mini champagne bottle. You know? So... The point is, is that life is mundane. And that's even if you're like, like living the most exclusive, celebrity-filled, celebrated life. I got to tell you something. I, I you know, and I, I know this, I know this for a fact. If you're on a project, like a new television show or a new movie or whatever it is, and you're being interviewed, so it's like, wow, hey, it would be so great, like, for people to ask me questions about how I feel about my new project, you know? I, I tell you this from experience. Every single journalist asks the exact same questions. So you think like, oh, here I am running from interview to interview. I'm in this hotel, in this hotel. It's just groups of people. I'm running around the hotel from this group to that group. So how'd you come up with the idea <laughs> to answer that question? Every single time, right? What's your favorite thing about the da-da-da? What's it like working with da-da-da? They all ask the same question. So again, what, what I'm trying to do and, and is to demystify, <laughs> you know, these aspects of life. And just for us to understand that if 90 I'm making up this number, by the way, but if 98% of life is mundane, right? This is like, this is the miracle, this is the breakthrough concept of Judaism, is how do I make each one of these things special? And that's why there's so much halacha. That's why there's so many mitzvahs. That's why there's so much Jewish law. Not because the rabbis are control freaks, <laughs> but because... There's a moment to access the spark of holiness in every single thing and to lift it up. And there's a real way to do it. There's a real way to do it. You know, I remember when I first started becoming observant, I got in, there was like this debate going on among the group of friends that I was hanging out with. And we were talking about blessings, right? Do you have to make a blessing before you eat the food or not? And, and one, one, one group was like... Um, you absolutely have to make the blessing. And the other group, which was led by me at that time, was, no, 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 just think the blessing or just have something in mind and you don't have to say the words or whatever it is. And then someone, and I love this guy to this day for this, he said, 
why can't you do both? <laughs> like somehow to me, just saying the words meant saying the words and not having any sort of holy intention, that you're just sort of like just rattling them off. It just wrote. And like not saying the words, that's where the spirituality is at. You know, you just have it in mind. Just have it in your heart. Just expand your consciousness. That's enough. But why not both? <laughs> why not, and listen carefully, why not marry the outside and the inside? That, that's really the breakthrough that Torah is presenting to the world. It's marrying the outside and the inside. So there is an actual practice to do. There is a mitzvah to do. There is a performance aspect to it. And by the way, the body needs that. The body needs that. And the more extreme your lifestyle is, in terms of like, if you're in a high-pressure job, the more having actual halacha, actual routine, is redemptive. It just, it, it, it keeps you, it just, it keeps you in that, in that same place. I, I remember, um, I, I used to call these podcasts, like the, like the subtitle was something like, I don't know, something like a search for sanity or something, something like that. I don't remember exactly. And then someone persuaded me to drop that. <laughs> but I've never stopped thinking that that's what these things are. These are, this is a way to maintain sanity. Believe me. Believe me. You, and, and a person needs it. The person needs it, you know. I tell you, I, I was driving in the mountains just like a couple of weeks ago through a windstorm. And... You know, you have to hold on to that wheel. In a windstorm, you have to hold on to that wheel. And you're going, whatever, 60, 70 miles an hour, and there's a windstorm? You know. Let's just extend that. You know what life is? You're going like 300 miles an hour, and there's a hurricane. (laughs) How much more so do you have to hold on to that wheel? Right? And um, that's what Torah is. So, so if you understand, so let's get back to this idea of the mundane. You know, like I heard Dennis Prager say one time, I thought it was an, an interesting way that's definitely consistent with what we're talking about. He said, what do you consider a good day? Like a really good day. Like a day you got a raise, a day you made a bunch of money, a day you got a promotion, a day that you you know, got married, whatever it is. He said, how many of those days occur in a year? (laughs) Right? So if you're actually going to define a good day as something that happens about maybe, you know, five times or less or not at all a year, then how are you, what kind of life are you making for yourself? that you've basically just sort of eliminated any day from being a good day. And yet, you also know that in spite of all that stuff, you do have good days. So then that's your soul telling you that, wait a second, the, the way I've defined what a good day is, is probably a false definition. 
There's another definition for a good day. And you know what? That's when, that's when you align the inside with the outside. Right? What does it mean when, 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 when the Torah is saying, don't stray after your eyes and that the eyes are connected to the heart? Either the eyes are importing to the heart or the heart is special ordering things for the eyes to find. But if they're in, in sync with each other and they both have the headline of what transcendence is and what, what the real inside is and what the real outside is, and they can harmonize those two things, then your insides and your outsides are aligned, right? And then you're, you're at peace. You have tranquility. You have enlightenment. These are all the things that we want. Okay, so getting back to this idea that most of life is mun- mundane, well, well, how about the fact that there's a Torah way to put on your socks and shoes in the morning? Like, I love that. And, and that had the biggest influence on my own life. I, I wanted to come closer to, to Torah. I was 14 at the time. It took me many years before I started keeping Shabbos. I started keeping Shabbos when I was 24. But when I was 14, I remember dancing with the Torah at Rip Shlomo Karlovach Shul on, on Simcha's Torah and hugging the Torah and saying, thinking very strongly, this is my whole life. This is all that I want. This is my whole life. But meanwhile, if you, again, if you looked at what my level of observance was, quote-unquote, it was pretty marginal, pretty marginal. But I was putting my shoes and socks on in a Torah way because someone told me how to do it. And I remember consoling myself during, during that decade. <laughs> I'd say, at least I'm putting my shoes and socks on in a Torah way. <laughs> but I was, and it made me feel really good. So let me tell you how to do it just in case someone doesn't know. It's right sock, left sock, right shoe, left shoe, then it reverses. Then you put on your left shoe, then you put on your right shoe. So say it again, it's right sock, left sock, right shoe, left shoe, then you put on your left shoe, then you put on your right shoe. Oh, then you tie, tie your left shoe, then you tie your right shoe. Okay, why? That's for another occasion. But how about the fact that there actually is a holy way to put on your socks and shoes? (laughs) That in and of itself is remarkable. That's that's unbelievable, actually. Um, I okay. apologize, but I had to leave something important outside. Okay, yeah, thank, yeah. You. thank you. So, you know, I, I just want to tell you, there's also a Torah way to take a shower. Yeah. Like, what do you wash first? Okay, so I'll tell you, because these are two very easy things to do, and it's just... So beautiful to be able to do it in a Torah way, right? Okay, first it's the hair, then it's the face, and then, okay, well, okay, so that's the head. The hair and the face is the head, right? So what would come next after that? Like you've got your whole rest of your body. What do you think comes next? The answer is the heart. Isn't that beautiful? So why? Because when we're talking about marrying the inside with the outside and making the inside the headline, right? What are we really talking about? I'm just going to put it in another language. It means taking the heart and the mind and making sure that the head and the heart are working together. Right? Because your heart is your inside. And your mind is the thing that's trying to navigate, you know, paying the rent and 
putting food on the table and not getting killed. Right? The head is so focused on the outside. The heart is on the inside. How about if we can get them together? So this is, by the way, that's what Paeus is all about. And interestingly, Paeus is a mitzvah for men, not for women. And it would have been very easy for the rabbis to say this is also for women. But the fact that they say that it's not for women, well, let me explain what the mitzvah is in a second. You see that women don't need this because the idea is you've got your, the, your upper jawbone and any hair that goes lower than the upper jawbone, that's called payas. So Reb Shlomo explained that what payas is, is it's connecting the mind and the heart. See, that's why some people have the custom to grow it out long. Because you want the mind, you're just really showing it. You've got like the direct highway, like it's very visible between the mind and the heart. And you don't, why, why, so why aren't we cutting them? Like, because we don't want to sever the connection between the mind and the heart. So again, to me, as interesting as that is, it's even more interesting that women don't have that mitzvah because obviously women's hearts and minds are connected much more than men's are. Men have to guard that connection much more, you know, carefully than, than women do. Somehow women are more intuitive. The fact, you know, one of the interesting things is that if you look at the species that are created on each of the first six days of creation, they become progressively more complex life forms, which Darwin, you know, would be very happy about to see that. You know, to see that it goes up and up and up and up. But what's interesting about that is you have the creation of man, meaning the male, and then woman, which means that women on some level in, in this context are a higher life form. You know, so you just, you just kind of see an example of that there. Okay, but then you, just in case the, the, that, that shouldn't go to the women's heads because they are not the final creation. The final creation is Shabbos. <laughs> Shabbos is the marrying of everything together. All of time and space and the harmonizing of all the species of the world together. Right? Because that's the ultimate goal. That's the ultimate goal. You know, I, I, I noticed this. This was, I think, this came to me, Hoshana Rabbah night. Probably it was around, I don't know, 4, 4 a.m. or something like that. We were learning together in the sukkah. And if you look at the, the, the last line just about, right before Yishtabach, Psuke de Zimra. These are the special psalms that we say leading up to, to Shachars. There's this very epic line. It says, um, uh, you know, the, the leaders of, I guess, the Jewish people will ascend Mount Zion to judge Asaph's mountain. Right? Meaning to say that this kind of like this, this Yaakov Esav rivalry is finally going to be resolved in the favor of Yaakov. And you can say, maybe you'll think that, okay, so we're, we're sort of like climaxing our praise of God with the victory of the Jewish people over its adversaries. And then that's the, that's the end. Now it's going to davening. But no, there's one more, there's one more verse after that. Then Hashem will be king over all the world. And on that day, Hashem will be one and his name will be one. And then we say Shema. In other words, 
the, 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 the point is not, oh, woman is created after man. No, then comes Shabbos. It's not, then we defeat our enemies. No, no, no. Then comes the revelation of God's oneness. That, that's, what we're, that's what we're working toward. Not that we should win or someone should be better. That, that's not the point. The point is to reveal the fullness of the inside and to make the inside the only reality, ultimately. Again, the outside will still exist, but, but we'll understand how to use it properly. We'll go down the hill in that car, but the engine will be on. The inside will be driving it, not just the force of gravity driving it. Um, so, so this idea that you're swimming through God, that you're in this relationship, that it's like lovers, right? Like Rabbi Akiva says, of Shira Shirim. Now, and the fact that most of our lives are the mundane, now all of a sudden you sort of like, let's say you want to have some coffee. You pick up a cup. Where did my hand come from? My hand is like this like incredible gift. Where did this cup come from? Where did this coffee come from? Right? This is all, I'm receiving all of these things from God. Now I say to God, thank you, God, for giving me these things. And then he puts it in this thing called my mouth. Where did my mouth come from? (laughs) And it goes down and warms my throat and my stomach. Where did those things come from? So in other words, I'm I'm experiencing my quote-unquote outside from like just like the consciousness of God giving it to me from the context of this relationship which is ongoing, which is that every single moment is new. So, so if a person wants to get outside their own head, they have to realize what is in front of their very eyes. And like those two fish in water, they say, do you think water exists? Do you think water doesn't exist? So we have this concept called hiding in plain sight, right? But if you can get rid of that idea and understand that wherever you go, you're swimming through God, this is the most amazing thing. So now let me tell you, we just learned the laws of kashras. And it's funny, I never saw this thought before. And then all of a sudden I saw it, different versions of it from the Svasemis and the Mervashemish. Right? So apparently this is like, <laughs> this was news to me, but this, this thought's been out there for, for quite a while. So, so... What are the two signs of an animal being kosher, like a beast being kosher? It's got to have split hooves, and it's got to sort of like chew its insides. Okay? So chew its cud. So it, it takes the food that it swallowed, and then it continues to work on it, even after it's on, in its stomach. So the Sfasema says something unbelievable, but I guess this, was, this is a known thought in Hasidus, I guess. Is, is that the split... Okay, so just, just to take one step back. Again, another macro-organizing concept, which very much fits in with what we've been saying up until now. He says that the goal, the Svasema says that the goal of a person, right, is you have to transcend the material, and then you have to enter into the spiritual. These are two separate steps. And what's interesting to me about that is... You might think if I transcend the material realm, I've already entered into the spiritual realm, right? But no, that's not what he's saying. He says, first you transcend the material world, then you enter into the spiritual world. 
step two, separate step. Okay. Because you can choose a lot of different spiritual paths, but you want to maintain a path of truth. So what he says is, is that this parallels the laws of keeping kosher. That what is the split hoof? The split hoof is the breakthrough, the crack in the material world. Interesting. Like, like that shows you, because what's more material than eating a steak? That's a pretty material enterprise, right? So the split hoof is telling you that, wait a second, there's a breakthrough through materiality. And what's the chewing of the cud? That continual internal uh, digestion? That is, that is the spiritual realms. Because that's an internal process that's going on, right? You're entering into the, the spiritual realms at that point. So I just want to wrap it up and, and just tell you one last thing, which is that, uh, you know, Rabbi Nachman of Breslov says very famously, like very important words to live by. These are life-saving words. That if you believe something can be broken, you also have to believe that it can be repaired. Right? A lot of people, they're great believers in things getting broken, but they don't understand that you can also repair it. Now, I remember Yedidya Blanton, Allah Shalom, said so beautifully one time, he was talking about his young child who got a cut, and his young child was like just, his mind was getting blown because he saw this scab emerging where the cut was, and then soon the cut went away. <laughs> He couldn't believe it. This young child couldn't believe that there was... Like, he wasn't so surprised about the cut. What he was surprised about was that there is such a thing as a healing process. And believe me, if it can take place on the outside level, it can take place even more so on the inside level. Okay? So, so in this week's Parsha, Parsha Shmini, we finished building the, 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 the Mishkan, and then the cloud, the glory of Hashem comes down. And that was the repairing of the Cheta Egel, of the, of the sin of the golden calf, when the clouds of glory, when the Shekhinah left the Jewish people. And it just shows you, God wanted to teach us that you know something? Okay, people make mistakes. We're human. Everybody makes mistakes. But at the same time, you have to also understand that you can fix every single relationship and even more importantly, you can fix your relationship with God, and we can fix the entire world. This is, this is huge. In fact, the Gomorrah says, the only reason why the whole sin of the golden calf took place at all was to teach us that we can repair relationships. And it says that, that's, that, that we would think, we would say that if the Jewish people who just got the Torah at Mount Sinai could repair the relationship with God after what was really considered like, you know, you know, just like it's all over. If we could do it then, then certainly for all time we'll be able to do it because no offense will be as great as that offense. And if we can fix that offense, we can fix every offense. Hashem wanted to teach us that lesson. So on some level, the whole sin of the golden calf was like a whole grand setup, right? So then the Gemara says, well, wait a second, that's true for a, on, on, the, on the national level, right? But individuals, if they really mess up, then just that's, that's the end of that. So, so that's why King David had his whole thing with Bathsheba. 
this is the Gemara speaking, to teach that, well, King David, if King David messed up, and that's, then, then surely, and God forgave him, then surely God will forgive me also. So this is this great teaching about forgiveness and repair. The, the clouds coming down on the Mishkan when it was completed. All right, so it comes down, and this is a great moment. And if you ask most people, like, what was our reaction when the clouds came down? Right? To show you that, that you can fix things. You can fix things. You can, you can do that. Most people, if they're familiar with the, you know, with the Chumash et al., with the Torah et al., they'll tell you, everyone fell on their faces. And it's not exactly true. And you have to look at the verse. And I'll explain myself in a moment. It's, it's, if you want to see it, it's in, it's in Vayikra, Leviticus, chapter 9, verse 24. It says, the people saw, right? They saw the glory of Hashem coming down, these clouds coming down, like this thing that they had been working for to, to, to fix so hard. And glad, the people saw and sang glad song. And then it says, and then they fell on their faces. <laughs> so that's huge. That's huge. It tells you that the initial reaction, we all think the initial reaction is, hit the deck! <laughs> Incoming! Incoming cloud! <laughs> hit the deck! <laughs> you know, God's here. Well, didn't you want God to be here? Well, yeah, he's here, but now I'm terrified. <laughs> But that's what you were working for. Yes. So what are you doing? Hit the deck! <laughs> now he's here, I'm terrified. But that's not what happened. <laughs> that is not what happened. It's sort of like, he's here! Yay! Where's the guitars? Where are the horns? Where are the drums? Let's sing and dance. So, so, and then, but there also has to be a sense of what we call yira. Yira means also the proper kavod, the proper respect, that you're in the presence of the creator of the entire universe. Okay, so after they broke out into song, then they, then they showed that, that yira. But do you think that the singing was frivolity? No, the singing was the ecstasy of the inside and the outside finally being together. Thanks for listening. We do this every week, so join in again next Sunday for a new podcast where we explore the amazingness of life. And review us and send in any comments or suggestions. I'd love to hear them.